Hi, everybody. This is Emily Trenum, the host of Memphis Metropolis. I'm away from the microphone this week, so we're rebroadcasting one of my favorite episodes. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm your host, Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis is all about our city as an urban place, including its neighborhoods, buildings, pathways, and parks, as well as the people who shape it. Join us each week as community leaders and commentators talk with me about our shared built environment. Welcome back to Memphis Metropolis, everyone. You're listening to WYXR 91.7 FM, and I'm your host, Emily Trenum. This week, I've got a, another special guest, Jimmy Routh III, who is the Shelby County historian, and we're going to be talking in particular about historic cemeteries in Shelby County and some of the challenges that are around maintaining them, and then some potential solutions to that problem. So welcome to Memphis Metropolis, Jimmy. Thanks, Emily. I'm glad to be here. Looking forward to it. So Jimmy, um, tell me, uh, I knew Shelby County had a historian, but probably not everybody does. So tell us a little bit about what the Shelby County historian does. Not so much things you have in the hopper, although I hope we can get to some of that. But what are the basic I know that it's an unpaid position, so you're a great citizen for taking it on. That's my understanding anyway. But what are some of the response? I know there's some sort of core responsibilities of the position. So what are those? Well, the position of county historian actually came about in 1965, uh, for the state of Tennessee anyway. And the first county historian was Ellen Davies Rogers. She was kind of a, a titan of her own and a kind of a powerhouse in the in the rural Brunswick Lakeland area. She wanted to be designated as the official county historian. And so she decided that, how do I do that? Well, her county commission friend said, we don't need one of those. She said, I got friends in higher places. She goes to Nashville and has a state law passed in 1965 that says, wow, every county in shell, every county in Tennessee shall have a historian. And they will serve uh, without compensation, and they will work with the Secretary of State's office and the Tennessee Historical Commission to preserve, uh, uh, collect, and teach history of the region. So 1965, we had our first. They were lifetime appointments. And she was 50, 61. Really? She was 61 at the time. So my predecessor, Jimmy Ogle, is when it changed. I'm only the fourth one. But we both said, gosh, being a historian was kind of wild. You you knew you were going to die in office. It wasn't something that we actually look forward to. (laughs) But Miss Rogers did did die. Well, Jimmy didn't die. No, no, no. Jimmy Ogle didn't die. He moved to Knoxville. Knoxville. (laughs) But she was a historian from 1965 to 1994, died in her 80s. She was succeeded by... Williams, who had been a 16-year county commissioner and a four-year state legislator and was a tremendous historian in his own right, writing several books. He died in 2014. It was a lifetime appointment. And when he died, when they appointed Jimmy, they decided to put a term limit on it. And they made it six years. And I understand they quibbled back and forth between six and 10, and they settled on six. And and then Jimmy, you have to live in the county you represent. Jimmy went to go be with his grandkids. So it's year five. 
he resigned and retired to Knoxville and I was appointed. Uh, and I will tell you, I was a little, I thought, great, because, you know, lifetime appointment. Gosh, I'm beginning to see, though, that actually by giving it term limits, it's kind of politicizes it um, because there are uh, there are things that I want to do that I realize I can't get done. And so I won't do because my time will run out. I'm not guaranteed. And then I'm, I have to play a little bit of the political game with commissioners who appoint me. And when you're not have it when your lifetime, you don't have those games to worry about. So there are some advantages. So I may have to to work with the commission and revisit that later on. But that's what it when county commission appointed me in 2019, uh, six year term. And that's what I do. I collect history, preserve history and use it to teach. Well, and one thing you do, I think, is there's isn't there a historical commission and um, that you facilitate and who are they and and what do they do? Well, the, the Shelby County Charter says created a Shelby County Historical Commission. Currently, it's 33 members appointed by the Shelby County mayor and uh, recommended by the mayor and then confirmed by the county commission. They, they have one purpose, and it is to fulfill the goals and ambition, assist in fulfilling the goals and ambitions of the county historian. And their responsibilities are putting up historic markers, uh, awarding local authors who write about things and educating kids through uh, historical processes. So that's what, and so they work hand in hand with the historian. Uh, and we're going to I'm actually working to strengthen that bond and to expand it and and give them a sense of ownership. Um, and it is a community board. You have uh, great uh, varieties of people. And we're continuing that as we reappoint our new people and get new ones to come on the board. That sounds great. Sounds like it would be a fun opportunity for people that are interested in in history of the county. And the ca- and county so county's the key. Can, I am County's the key there. County's the key. It's not just the city of Memphis. Right. It's for the county, which includes all municipalities uh, that are within the county of Shelby. So it it includes the. Lakeland, Germantown, Collierville. Yeah, it includes them as well as the unincorporated county. Correct. Millington, Lakeland, Bartlett, Collierville, Germantown, Memphis. Um, I left one out, but they're uh, Bartlett. They're all Millington. 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 They're all what I have to to get the history of all of those areas and make sure it's collected, preserved, and share it with the community. There's a lot more to that than I even knew. So thanks for for clarifying that. So I want to I invite you to be on the show because there was a really interesting article in the Commercial Appeal a month or so ago about historic cemeteries and um, some of the challenges with them. And I, of course, I'm interested in cemeteries anyway. So I wanted to I mean, first of all, the, the, the sort of the lead of the article was about um you know, Mount Carmel and Hollywood cemeteries, which are in kind of in Southwest Memphis, I'm pretty sure. And I want to, I don't want to talk just about African-American. I'd like to talk about, you know, historic cemeteries generally, but to start off with those two, because it sounds like they're very neglected and and what's important, where are they kind of, you know, locate us a little bit and then why are they important, either individually or kind of as a group? Well, right off the bat, I'll tell you, cemeteries are a dead subject. 
<laughs> uh, and that's what I get a lot when I tell people I want to deal with cemeteries. And they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <clears throat> Mount Carmel and Hollywood cemeteries are located on Elvis Presley Boulevard and the intersection of Ellis Road, which is uh, north of um, where Calvary and Forest Hill Cemetery is. And those cemeteries um, and Rose Hill, which is also there, those cemeteries were started in the early 1900s by a private company that uh, was in the cemetery business. And what happened over the course of time is that somewhere in the 80, late 80s, I believe, there started to be stories about they were overgrown and someone needed to cut them and they would reach out and somebody would take care of it, whether it was the city of Memphis or the county. or Well, in 2000, the state did a investigative work and found out the corporation, the private business that owned those cemeteries had not filed corporation paperwork with the state since the 1980s. They couldn't find anybody. There was no one left. So it was a business that just went defunct. Now I haven't done all the research. It's not really necessary anymore. It's been 30, 40 years ago, but did they just die? Did it just quit making money because they sold all the lots you know, there there was money in a trust, and the law says that every cemetery has to put 15% of the cost when people buy a plot into a trust. There was a trust which had $247,000, and I've done an inquiry and a, and a request of in, um, inquiry. Is that money still there? But so that's how that's how those cemeteries became abandoned. Now, it's interesting to note the state doesn't refer to them as abandoned, because in cemeteries, the reason why people can't come in and, and take over, those were individual land sales. Those plots are individual titled pieces of property. So it's wow. So the so so the property the, the, the family who bought it owns it. Owns it. And so the city, I mean the technically. The, the technically the state says, well, they're not abandoned. Those property owners still own their property. Well, those property owners bought those plots with the understanding the corporation they bought them from would take care of them in perpetuity. So um, they have not been taken care of because there is no one to take care of them. And those are just three of them. There's more, more keep popping up all the time. But that's the history. And Mount Carmel and, and Hollywood have got some interesting people. Um, Hollywood's got Memphis Slim in it. It's got Furry Lewis in it. Um, Mount Carmel has got Mr. Tom Lee in it, who saved the people on the river, you know, the the uh, down there and some other yep. other important people. So it's not like it's just a rural run of the mill. It's an important cemetery. Well, it sounds like also if they would could and we could, this could, could probably you know have a whole separate conversation on this, but it sounds like they w- could potentially be tourist attractions. I mean, for sure, Memphis Slim, Furry Lewis. I think people would come to see their graves if they were advertised, well-marked, well-maintained. And, and, you know, and people they, do and, come. And they do. It, In fact, for Furry Lewis's, there's routinely candles and co- bottles, cans of Colt 45 beer put at his grave. And it's on the tour during when they do the blues uh, concerts here and the blues awards. People all take a pilgrimage over to see his tombstone. Well, so and with those three cemeteries, I mean, before we move on, those three cemeteries were primarily African American. Completely, is that right? Completely, they were all black. And um, so the because um, one of the things you mentioned 
when we, you and I talked on the phone before we did this interview, and one of the things you mentioned to me was that, you know, several decades ago, there was a survey done of cemeteries in Shelby County, including a lot of family surveys, and that these cemeteries were left off. And just, um, do you think it was because they were sort of abandoned at that time? Or was it, was there just not as much emphasis on African-American? I mean, we don't know the reasons, but I'm just, is that one of the reasons they haven't gotten as much attention as some others? Do you think? No, I think that's really, that's, I don't, I don't think that's it at all. I think that um, um, what happened is there were some women who were doing a book, uh, which was a survey of the uh, cemeteries and it's a, Gravestone, gravestone inscriptions from Shelby County. Uh, and it's three women, um, Charlotte Elam, Margaret Erickson, and Ruth Wyckoff Hunt. They were particularly involved with the genealogy groups here. And uh, these were published in 1971. And they just, on their weekends, they would just go to cemeteries. And they would just sit down and they would sometimes take three, four, five. One of them took 10 years and they would write down the inscription on every tombstone in the cemetery. And uh, I just... No- I took a look. Yes, you saw that. Yeah. And I, I looked at it and I noticed that there are there are a couple of older African-American cemeteries, but the biggest ones um, are, are not in there, like Rose Hill and Hollywood. And so I really, I, I hate to say that they ignored them on purpose, nor, and I don't want to say that the women were afraid to go to that part of town. I'm just not sure they were aware of them. This, these are, you know, three Caucasian women. I just well, don't know that they knew that they were even there. Right. Well, and I'm not suggesting that. I mean, there's a long history of, you know, um, African-American cultural sites not getting the same preservation attention as as um, as others. So, um, yeah, I wasn't suggesting that they intentionally left them out, but it was that was a long list of cemeteries, oh my God, yeah. including some very small family cemeteries. Yes. So it did seem like a bit of an omission. And, and just, um, you know, a lot of people listen to the show as a podcast and, um, you know, in a podcast, you can do show notes. So I'm actually going to put a link to that database in the show notes for the podcast if anyone wants to take a look because, you um, because I did, um, I did take a look today. It was really interesting. You can click on each individual cemetery, and you can see, you know, a lot of the graves um, that are, you know, that have been documented at that time. And what's great? So what's another really, what's, cemetery. Well, what's really good about that is the fact that of Emily, if like I go to, there's an example, Tollgate Cemetery. Tollgate Cemetery is on Highway 64 across behind Seth's Lighting and the Wilchase Galleria. Well, that cemetery is there. There are, gosh, maybe half a dozen markers that I can see and are, are, are legible for me to read. Well, I go to this printing of this book from 71. There were 21 that were legible in 1971. So it helps me to see the breadth and depth of what was in that cemetery. So in that regard, it's they're invaluable sources to have. Otherwise, And it's a project we may end up having to do is go through when death certificates were kept uh, and we have back to and go through everybody who's ever died in Shelby County, all however many hundreds of thousands and get name and and burial location off of those to create a really thorough database of cemeteries of where they're buried. 
or to get someone to update this um, this project that was done in 1970, 1971. That would be interesting. So, so um, talked a little bit about, you know, family cemeteries because even though those weren't in private you know, company ownership. I know it has some of the same challenges. I'm familiar with Eccles Family Cemetery. Um, and you mentioned when to me this next to Home Depot, like how many f- little family cemeteries are there? And what's the particular um, challenge with those? Well, the challenge comes in in that the state of Tennessee says that a cemetery is any place where even as few as one person is buried. So if in rural Shelby County, say, is Germantown expanded, Collierville, Lakeland and all, if they if a, a plot that's six acres, it was a family a land and and grandma uh, Tilly is out in the backyard because that's how families used to per- deal with with death back then. That's considered a cemetery, even though it's one little 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 plot there. So when there was no rule or regulation about where you could bury people. There were, if you had family land, if you had a farm, you could bury on that. Um, And you didn't necessarily, or you never had to register those deaths, those burials with the state. And in some cases we've, I have found there weren't even death certificates because maybe your grandmother died and this is 1925. She died we're so, so sorry. The family just called the family. They buried her, put her in the backyard. That's the end of it. And, and we don't know. Right. There's no real record for her. So I don't, and I, I'm sure they're going to find lots of those but that, that we're going to wonder what happened. But family plots are, are unlike they have in commercial or church where they have to record and they have to keep a journal of. And that's part of the problem with we've had with Hollywood they had all the records probably in the sexton's office, which is where the person who oversaw it. But that building caught fire at some point in the 90s and it burned from within oh, no. and was soaked with water. So those there may never be re- obtainable records. So for that cemetery, we will have to do a walk one by one to each a marker and transcribe all the information to find out exactly who's buried in each of those cemeteries. But in about the ter- 1920, I think, or whatever, they, they st- around the t- early 20s, they started to where if you're going to have a cemetery, you have to um, register everybody who goes in the cemetery, and then you have to put 15% of the proceeds into a trust fund to maintain it in perpetuity. And, and that's one thing we have to maybe think about now. Does that 15% need to be raised because the cost of maintenance has gone up? And it's just, they don't, it does, it no longer maintains the cemetery. That's so interesting. Well, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. And I'm talking to Jimmy Routh. The third, and we're talking about historic cemeteries. So, I so tell me some of the things um, you're doing to um, specifically address the 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 
the maintenance of those three cemeteries, and I guess Zion Cemetery as well. I know you've got some, I mean, it's really no one's responsibility. And of course, it costs a lot to mow. And I know government doesn't want to do that, but somebody needs to. So what's your proposal? Well, my proposal, and Zion is a great example. They have gotten together. However, I think it's like all organizations, it ebbs and flows with interest. And I think they may be at a low ebb at the current time. Um, but they, they got a national black fraternity together to actually go to Zion and to do a great cleanup. And, but there's never been for lack of a better word, a clearinghouse of cemeteries, an inventory, a clearinghouse of cemeteries in Shelby County. We did have a gentleman that was on um, the Shelby County Historic Commission, and he did go through, he passed away right before I was the historian. He has done a, we have an, we do have an inventory of every cemetery in Shelby County. Now, all we have though is where this, oh, we do, but we don't have anything about who's in the cemetery. We just have a list of the cemeteries and we don't have who owns them. We just have the address. So it's a, it's a good start that we can, John McNary is who, is who did that, uh, that great endeavor. It took him several years. So that's a good starting point. But as I told you in the eighties, um, when I was in high school and junior high, I remember seeing news stories about these cemeteries that needed to be, to be cut and, and maintained. And it's been that way up until here we are now in 2021. So we've been able to band-aid it many times, many, many times over the years. Well, I decided I'm tired of the band-aid. I want the solution. What is the solution? The solution's going to be because they are not the responsibility legally of government and they are not being maintained as humanity, we have a responsibility to maintain these cemeteries. And we hear all, I agree. We hear all the time, you know, Oh, that's people just throwing money at a problem, throwing money at a problem. Well, this is one problem. Throwing money at it is exactly what we're going to have to do. So we need to set up a fund to where we can have a perpetual amounts of money with dividends coming in that will take care of these cemeteries. And then we need to figure out and the ownership. I don't, I'm not going to be happy just leaving them with the uh, explanation. Well, the pro- the people who own the plots own them. That's not that's not going to work for me because at some point those families don't have heirs and there's no one to take care of that plot. Um, so I want to set up an ownership, whether it's a trust, whether it's a conservatorship, um, but I want to set that up to have that to where it's the go-to people that you can go to if there's a problem with the cemetery. Now, one of the biggest challenges is going to be how do we handle cemeteries that are currently active that are perhaps run by churches that may become inactive in the next five to 10 years? Because we've got uh, four different kinds of cemeteries here. Maybe we, I mean, tell you about those. You've got family owned and privately owned. Okay. So those are up to the individual, like we talked about the backyard deals, or someone buys a piece of property that has a cemetery on it because they're history buffs or they like it. Then you have municipally owned who may be owned by a city or a community. Then you've got church owned. Then you've got privately corporately owned. Well, 
So what are some, do we have any municipally owned ones here? No. Is there like a well, potter's field, the equivalent of one here? There is a potter's field that Shelby County gladly tends to, and they do well with. Uh, and they've actually, um, uh, we, we need to revisit how we handle potter's fields because uh, in doing some research, I've noticed that uh, cremation's becoming the way to go. I think over 60% of the deaths nowadays are, are cremations. Many states, many counties, as they deal with potter's fields, they do not, they no longer in ground bury. Indigent disposal is by cremation. So we may need to look at that as a way to help with maintenance of a of the potter, potter's field in perpetuity for Shelby County. Right. Now there's a, another whole podcast that you and I could talk about on the Winchester Cemetery. Uh, that was the municipal cemetery of Memphis back in 1820s up until the 1920s. And there's been a, a wonderful paper written by Midge Gurley in the West Tennessee Historical Society papers about this. And it is an abomination how the government handled that cemetery uh, and made, drove roads to the cemetery. And the newspaper article said you could see the bones flying. It's just an abomination. Oh, so was that downtown? Was that downtown? Oh, it's still there. Or one of the sort of um, original parks. It is. No, it's a budding. It's a, not. It's Winchester Park is um, down and it abuts St. Jude Hospital, and part of it. Yeah, I know where Winchester Park is. That's the okay. cemetery. That was the cemetery. Winch, wow. Winchester Park and. A, well, you know what would be. Yeah, we don't have to, really time to go into this today, but the whole idea of, you know, real estate development and croaching yeah, on, yeah. I mean, that's what happened with the, the small cemetery next to the Home Depot in Midtown. Yeah. It sounds like, you know, development, right? Um, like you said, it plowed over some, yeah, so that's a whole. Yeah, so, um, so that was, at, you know, at one time, that was municipally run and then privately, then back in the municipal. So that's the only one. We currently don't have any city-run cemetery now. The Potter's Field is all that, that we have, that, that we do. But um, And there's there's private corporations. There's the Galilee Cemetery that's across the street from the Potter's Field on, on um, Ellis Road in, um, in Bartlett area. Um, it, it was in state receivership. And it's no longer in receivership, I remember. but the state, I believe, is just having to pay someone to tend to it because there is no one to tend to it. So, uh, so what? So we we need to get we need to find put all these things in a trust. We need to create something that's going to generate some revenue. And I've got some ideas about all that that has a and it's a statewide project. I don't. I'm not looking at this as just for Shelby County because I realize. As I talked to the, the Graham Perry, who's in charge of historic cemeteries for the Tennessee Historical Commission, we are not alone in this in this battle. The, all of the counties face it. And even in the rural counties, you have small little church cemeteries. So this is a problem that's going to get even worse. But how do we with these churches, if they're, they're exempt from having to follow a lot of the cemetery rules and regulations, how do we help them to prevent their cemetery from falling on the back of someone else to take care of down the road. Maybe we need to think about some legislation that will help them create an endowment or say, if you sell your property, a portion has to be left for an endowment. We've got to revisit how we are addressing cemeteries in general. I like that idea because, you know, churches, of course, um, 
especially ones that are in, you know, urban neighborhoods, either they're moving out to the suburbs or they're merging or they're, the congregation is just dwindling and they're selling their building or even in some cases abandoning it. And I feel sure that um, I like your proposal potentially to, if they sell their property, that a portion of it has to go to maintain the cemetery. The only problem is if the church is very small and very poor, the the real estate might not be worth much. Well, but it, but it, um, but, it, but it's it's the only thing that we have. And when a church when a church does close up or becomes extinct, um, what what are they going to do with their their property income? Uh, they can't divide it up among the members, I don't think. So it's just something we've got to look at and see how do we work. And maybe you know it's it's going to take a government private public partnership. It's going to take all of us working together. There's no one answer for it. Uh, I would like to see something where we can provide if they put some funding, government matches the funding. Maybe there's some private matching to help incentivize to get these things to happen. Well, I like that idea a lot. And one of the people that was I like the idea of a statewide fund, but I do feel like there'd be local support for that. You know, one of the people that was quoted in that article in the commercial appeal was Bob Bockler, who's the head of Community Foundation and who obviously has a personal interest in in cemetery maintenance generally and preservation generally, I could definitely see this as something that could be a fund, a community foundation, and people could, you know, maybe um, in their wills. I mean, because there's a lot of old Memphis families or people who would want to, I mean, certainly I would make a contribution to that kind of fund, especially as it relates to these cemeteries in South Memphis. I mean, I'm not saying I'm a big donor, but I'm just saying I think there's a lot of people who would consider if and of course someone's got to raise the money right. um which is you know time consuming but i do think there would be support in the community like you said maybe it could be matched by government to um to certainly regular maintenance of some of these the ones we've mentioned and then initiatives to like i said support some of the church owned ones or maybe just prevent the, a, a Galilee kind of situation. Well, Bob Fockler is who actually he's on my team. He's he's working with me. I had reached out early on. Okay, he, was, he was one of the first ones. And, and I referred him to the writer of that article. I said, call Bob, call Bob. He has a family interest. He's got a family cemetery that has been tended with by a cousin. The cousin's getting elderly. It, it's not in the state of Tennessee. And he wonders who's going to take care of it. And so, uh, as I said, so there, yes, there's interest there and, and the community foundation and each of, of Knox County, Davidson County, Hamilton County, they all have community foundations that we could do a statewide program. We could just be the pilot program here to show them how to do it that can administer all of that. And then Grand Perry at the state level can deal with the 95 other communities, individual counties throughout the throughout the state of Tennessee. But it's going to be I mean, it would be a it's it's going to take convincing people that it's it is our responsibility as human beings to have empathy and to understand we owe the respect to these people. All of, I look at these cemeteries and they're all to me, they're stories. Every grave represents a story. That's history that has made us what we are. And it's like a, it's like a history book. And when you uncover each story, you know, they're not mayors, they're not elected officials, they're not governors, they're individuals, they're the bricks that built the foundation on what our community's on now. And it just, it, I can't fathom the fact 
that we're a community that doesn't have enough initiative to step up and take the responsibility to do that. And I think we will. Once we get a plan, we'll do it. And I'm just to the point where I'm ready to present the plan. Well, that's a great way to end this discussion. I do want to ask you a couple of other things that um, you've got in the pipeline, but let me just remind everybody that they're listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm talking to Jimmy Routh III. We've been talking about historic cemeteries, uh, but Jimmy wanted to ask you about a couple of other things that you and I talked about when we met for the first time over the phone. Um, one of the things you said you were interested in was a historic properties survey or historic building survey for Shelby County. What would that, I understand the need, but elaborate on that a little bit more, why you think it's important for us to have that. And then also, what are some important structures in Shelby County that people might not think of top of mind as important historic structures that, but that are. Well, I realized when um, my parents lived in a neighborhood uh, called Richwood out in a near, uh, not uh, too far from a Southwind. And there was a house that's built in 1842 that was right across from my parents' house. And I kept thinking, wow, that's a great old house. And I, you know, what kind of history is it? Well, it's not cataloged anywhere. It was listed in the book, Good Abode, written in the 1980s by the Junior League. But it's on nobody's radar. In- I have that book. Of yes, course. but you'll have to look up Richwood. It's been sold. I will. It's been sold twice. But there's no preservationist who's wondered, oh, are we going to be sure this house is saved? Because it's not on the radar. Uh, there's multiple houses in, uh, in unincorporated Shelby County. There is, are even those in Millington, in Raleigh, uh, in, in Lakeland. All of these areas have got old homes. And we don't know about them, and they're not on the radar. So you've got um, Cedar Hall and Hartwood Hall, two very historic homes that have been bought privately. And thank goodness the lady who bought them as wedding venues has spent enormous amounts of money maintaining them and building them up to wonderful things. Uh, We worry about Annisdale. We worry about Ashler Hall. uh, We worry about government building, juvenile court, our juvenile court, our courthouse. We've got all of these buildings. And so we need to do a survey that includes not just Memphis and Central Gardens and Victorian Village, but we need to take each municipality. Collierville is in the midst of updating their historic buildings review, and Bartlett did one in the 80s, and they're looking at doing one. Those are the only municipalities who've actually done it. But none of the unincorporated areas, here again, I want a clearinghouse. I want a list. Where are the historic buildings that mean something to our history that we might need to preserve? It's going to be a multi-year process to do that. Well, well, I like the idea, especially of the government buildings. I feel like, you know, the Ashler Halls, I mean... Not that those aren't important to preserve, but people know about them. They're on the National Register, but a lot of these things are not. And you mentioned to me the people don't call it the penal farm anymore, but mm-hmm. that cluster of buildings, um, out of, like those are old, and I'm sure those are over fifty years old. And those need to be documented, and for sure they need to be preserved. People don't think of those as historic, but that whole complex is, and I think it probably has a very interesting history. Well, let me tell you. Let's just remind people that historic, according to the National Register, historic is at least fifty years old. Well, guess what? That's 1971. 
that's not that long yeah. ago. And you look at a house that's 75 years old, you think, okay, well, let's go to an old house. That's 1946. That's not that long ago in the scheme of things. That includes then all the houses built after World War II when the soldiers came home. Then you've got those that are built in the 1900 and 1920 and those pre-1900. So an old house qualifies at 50 years. The Shelby County office building just turned 50 last year. So it is now considered a historic building. And you look at the contemporary architecture of it. You would never look at that and say that's a historic building because it's a tall, you know, concrete column. But it, it does qualify as a historic building. And it is in a historic uh, Adams neighborhood with the courthouse and and uh, the old jail. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like I said, there there are tons of historic properties that you know people have in their mind what historic looks like, and that for a lot of times that's a pretty out of date notion. Right. Now, exactly. Because you're right, fifty years is not that much. So uh, th- I think that's a great idea. So also, you mentioned to me that you that the um, about historic markers. So um, about that, that program needed to be updated. So what did you have in mind for that? Well, when I, and how does that work anyway? If you, if you want to get a historic marker, yeah. if you want, um, if you want a historic marker, you need to, and you can put my uh, email address in your link to your story, but it's an easy one. It's J.R. Shelby County Historian at gmail.com. Um, in historic markers, there are rules and regulations. You can send me an email. I will send you the information on it. Typically, we like it to be things that are 50 years old or older. Um, you submit why, why you think your location, your building, your park, a statue, whatever it is, why you think it's historically significant. Uh, the historic Shelby County Historic Commission will look at that application and decide, do we think that that is actually, is it historic? Many, many times, and it's, I'm not, I don't try to hurt feelings, but many times it's emotionally important more than it is historically important. And so it's our duty to, we don't just want to throw up historical markers, everybody who wants one, they really have to meet a definite criteria. And what I noticed was as people were asking me, oh, well, this one has faded or that one has faded or this one's bent. I said, well, what's the process? Well, they've been putting them up since 1965, but there is no protocol. No one seems to. I said, well, who owns these, Mark? Well, I don't know. We didn't pay for them. Sponsors pay for them. I said, well, some of these sponsors aren't even in existence anymore. Uh, The sesquicentennial 1969 put up about 30. That sesquicentennial committee was disbanded a year after the sesquicentennial. Well, who maintains them? So I've looked at what we've done now. We've we've gotten it to where Shelby County, we're hoping we're going to be able to work it all completely outlook with the legalities. Shelby County will own them. We will maintain them. Um, and we will be able to take them down, refresh the paint on them, put them back up. We've added a, uh, a fee to the, uh, to the cost of it that is a maintenance fee because it's just like cemetery plots. If we have to maintain them in perpetuity, we need to make sure we've got the funds there. So we have to create a revenue stream for that. Um, and, and as of right now, they are privately funded. Uh, we hope in the future we'll be able to do some, maybe some matching of funds to help with that or be able to do where the commission itself might put up one, two, three or four a year that relates to pure history that we think the county residents need to be aware of and then let the private um, historical spots be funded privately. 
Is, how many are there? And is there an online directory that people can, if people wanted to go out and and maybe not look at all of them, but look at all all the music related markers, right. for example? Well, there there is a list again. It's at the registers website where you found the graves the 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 graveyard list. So that list that website will be the same for this. And you just put historic markers. I think there's a tab for Shelby County historic markers, and um, they that includes the Tennessee Historic Commission markers, Shelby County historic markers, Daughters of the Confederacy historic markers, Sons of the Confederacy, Daughters of the Revolution, Sons of the Revolution. It's a full list of all the markers. Now, it has not been updated in probably 10 or 15 years because here again, it was just a volunteer who went out and did that and submitted it to be put on the computer. We need to find now somebody who wants to go and update that list. And that's something that what we need to start doing is as we install them, take the picture, turn them in. So we need to have a plan to keep it updated so we don't have this backlog of having to go back and find them later on. Yeah, I think that should be updated. Maybe someone will hear this and volunteer because that sounds like it really would be worth doing. Speaking of like Daughters of the Confederacy, did, did they ever have to be sort of just taken down and have the language updated because it doesn't reflect how like, you know, something that referred to colored people, for example, or um, if some of these have been around a long time, I'm thinking some, maybe not all of them really reflect our current, you know, the way we think and talk about things. Well, you've got that going on right now in Collierville. They have a marker. Uh, it's not a historic marker. It's a, it's a monument marker uh, to all the, the patriots who fought in, in the Civil War. Uh, and it has on it confederate park at the bottom of it which is what the town square was called for a long time and so they're 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 quibbling they're trying to figure out how they're going to handle that and what they're going to do shelby county ours have been put up since 1965 i don't know that i've never had a request that our language is wrong um i know that they have recently added a marker down where uh, Nathan Bedford Forrest lived and had his business because I, I have noticed that the earlier county markers were ambiguous. They would say that Nathan Bedford Forrest had a business during the Civil War here. Well, it didn't say he was a slave trader. Um, and so Tim Hub right. Tim Hubner at Rhodes College and, a, and and Calvary Church they got together and they put up a marker that's a little more specific, uh, not not accusatory. It just tells the facts as we needed to as it needs to be told. Um, the other thing that that we talk about that we've brought up in the historic commission that I wanted to establish is a protocol of. I had a problem with when we we had a text committee meeting where we go over the text and all and and we would have four or five white people in a room. We have African-American members. There are some members on the text committee, but it's like, why is this majority white group talking and making decisions on this African-American subject? We need to get a broader opinion and a broader viewpoint of what we're talking about. And I also wanted to be sure, how do we refer to different races? Are they black? Are they African-American? You know, what do we call them? Colored? And, and we've kind of come to the conclusion in reaching out to the Memphis Lynching Sites Project and some other groups that really calling them what they were called in context to what the marker is, 
may be the best thing. So that during the 60s, it was coloreds. So during the, the 80s and 90s, it was African-Americans. And maybe now we're back to just calling whites and blacks, but trying to get that wording so that we have some protocol for all, because that's important too. Um, so we are very particular. We also, a, a wonderful thing we're able to add to the markers now is a QR code. So we're adding the little area at the bottom right. where we can put the QR code, which enables us to tell a broader history. So you can get into much greater detail because early on, everyone thought the historic markers had to be the novel. Well, guess what? It's not the novel. It needs to be the preface. And the novel is your research as you look more into it, that our, our marker should should prick your interest to want to go look more. Well, we can have these QR codes where you can go somewhere and really find some great interviews or narratives or documentaries about what the historic location is. I love that idea. So you can just scan your phone over that um, on the, on the marker and then unlock additional information. I mean, even if it just took you to the Wikipedia page, you'd be, off on you'd be down going down the rabbit hole right right right. which i go down a lot as a as as the armchair historian one of the things is being the county historian i i'm a theater and communications major and everyone asks me oh are you going to do this and i don't have to know the answer to everything i need to know who to get to to get the right answer and i do have a vast knowledge of this county through my living here and it being a fourth or fifth generation um, shelby county and but that's part of, of it, knowing who to get to, to get it right. And it takes a village to get the history correct. And everyone has their area of expertise. So um, there are many, many, many rabbit holes that I'm going down. And I look forward to going down to some with you, Emily. We'll get some of it worked out. I, me, me too. Well, that's a great way to end the, the interview because I do, Jimmy, I do hope you'll come back on and another time, I feel like there's a lot of potential, very interested in doing shows on particularly historic preservation, but certainly urban history, and would love to have you back on to talk about something else, although the cemeteries is just very interesting. So I would love for your, for your listeners, send in what would they like to know more about. That's the only way we know how to to know what the interest is in the community. What would they like to know about in the community? Uh, And we can talk about those things. Absolutely. I love that idea. So you've been listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. And I've been talking to Jimmy Routh III. We've been talking about historic cemeteries and about history of Shelby County generally, and we're obviously just scratching the surface. So, Jimmy, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me, Emily. Look forward to it anytime. And uh, anybody who wants to reach me, look at your links through this story and reach out and we'll get back in touch with them. You've been listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis airs every Monday at 1, so please tune in again next week. You can listen to past programs on our program page at wyxr.org or on memphismetropolis.com. You can also follow us and send feedback on social media. Now, stay tuned for Memphis Undercover with Nancy.